building better relationships at home and at work for people who have more than enough on their plate. Two coaches dangling the possibility of finding joy in your relationships. Do you dare to consider life can be better? Have a listen and tell us why. Are you thinking, is this it? Waking up in the morning and ugh, I have to go to work? When is it going to end? If you ever wonder why we ask questions during our podcasts. Nah, you just listen for the free tips. We ask questions for you to get coaching without paying the expense of a private coach. And for you to get help right away because the world needs you to be better. And now it's even easier for you to get the inspiration you need to make your life and relationships meaningful with the Building Better Relationship Journal and Meditation, your personal coaching journal that finds the gold in you that makes life joyful and, yes, worth getting out of bed every morning, along with the Building Better Relationships Meditation that attracts the energy and love you want in your life. What are you waiting for? Yeah, baby, this is it. Live love now. To learn more and to purchase the Building Better Relationships at Home and Work journal and meditation, go to https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash bbr journal. That's https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash BBR journal. You can find the link in the show notes. In this podcast episode, we discuss Angela's body of love journey and her book, Body of Love, 10 Steps to Love Yourself and Your Body, a workbook. It's been 10 years since I wrote The Body of Love in 2012. Happy 10th anniversary, Angela. Congratulations. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Today, I'd like to celebrate that 10 years later from writing it, I've learned so much more about the body. And I'm excited to share pieces of the teachings from the body of love and how they might be able to help you change the way you relate to your body. Angela, what inspired you to write the book, The Body of Love? In 2012, I wrote The Body of Love and made it a workbook because for me to love the body, you have to do practical exercises. It's not an experience that just happens. Although later I'll talk about when I have had experiences where I've had happenings of experiencing love in my body. And in the workbook, I offered movement and meditation exercises to feel and experience the body and yourself. And through that experience, you would build a new relationship with your body. And I knew it wasn't a book that was for everyone. So I was writing a book that certain people could be inspired by who had a particular connection to really experiencing the body through movement and meditation. I have a background of belly dance, Sufi dance, 
trance dance and somatic movement or body-mind centering and contact dance. Contact dance is where we held and supported each other's bodies and we did that with body-mind centering techniques. And I discovered in the movement that love is actually experienced in the body as a supportive and natural feeling when the intent of the person is to create that loving, nurturing space for you to experience love and deep acceptance. So I wrote the book, The Body of Love Workbook, to share how I felt about the body because I saw how people got stuck in one perception of their body and they missed this whole range of very vast experience that I discovered in the body through dance and many, many different experiences with the body in healing and touch. And I wanted to offer some basic steps, the 10 steps, to relate to the body with exercises that are helping people to move beyond the visual and beyond mind-based perception of the body to a heartfelt and whole sensory exploration of the body. Angela, can you give us a brief description of Sophie dance, trans dance, and somatic movement for me and the listeners? Yeah, sure. There's quite a few things that I'm just realizing that people (laughs) don't know what Sufi dance is. Right, right. (laughs) So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. So Sufi, maybe some people know Sufi from the famous poet Rumi. I don't know if you've heard of the poet Rumi. And some people may have heard of, he's not a Sufi poet, but he comes from that tradition, Kalal Gibran who has a beautiful book called The Prophet. So Kalal Gibran is a descendant of the Sufi poets. And the Sufi poets is based on a spiritual tradition of Sufis from East Asia to the Middle East, who through their poetry, they understood that our spiritual nature must be experienced. They understood that if you were to understand God, you had to experience God through devotion through writing, so the Sufi poets did their devotional writing through their poetry. And many Sufi musicians do devotional music. So it's often repetitious music that's very trance-like and it takes you into this state of feeling very beautifully connected. And some people might know Sufi dance from the whirling dervishes that you see in Turkey. They're the guys with the beautiful white skirts and point pointed hats, not pointed, but um, stovepipe type hats where they're whirling in for hours. And a lot of the Sufi movement is devotional movement where you move to Sufi music and that you feel the energy in your movement of being deeply connected to the love of the divine. And it's through devotion in Sufi work, through devotion, you lose that Um, sense of the mind and you build that connection to feeling how limitless life is itself and how magnificent is this universe so the whirling dervishes they spin around for hours until they lose that sense of the physical body and they just feel that central channel 
And it's, it's a very deep form of meditation through just spinning for hours in a circle. Mm-hmm. And it connects from that center of the earth to the gravitational pull of the sun. And through that, they can eliminate a lot of the toxins that they build up, not just physically, but you just lose that mental hold that your mind has on the body. Um, I didn't do a lot of whirling. It takes practice to build up to that. Uh, but I did a lot of devotional Sufi movement, which I teach. Now, trance dance is a modern movement form based on ancient practices. And in the ancient practices, uh, you would allow that conscious mind to completely let go and allow yourself to be full and take, fully taken by the music. Um, and the music could be drumming, natural rhythms, breath sounds that will help you do that. So these ancient practices you can see in all sorts of Indigenous cultures um, is where the trance, you would be in a trance, your conscious mind was literally gone. You, it wasn't there. So in in Indigenous cultures, you can see that form of dance and people are embodied by maybe a nature spirit or an animal. Some shamans could be trained to do this type of trance dance and they would embody the animal spirit or the nature energy to display some sort of shift for the community that was required. Now, modern trance dance is nothing like that. We don't just let people disappear because it's not safe in our culture to do so. And modern trance dance, it's more uh, from the traditions of Frank Natale and Ernesto Ortiz based in, I think Ernesto is based in Florida, Florida still. And it's where you use that traditional shamanic drumming music to allow yourself and your mind to let go and experience a deeper layer of yourself. And Frank Natale and Ernesto Ortiz used a blindfold to cover your eyes so you could just listen to the music and allow the music to begin to take you deeper into yourself and not worry about what other people were thinking or this, but you had to learn how to be safe in the space. So trans dance today, the modern version, your consciousness is still there. And I had to learn through trance dance, Paddy, because um, especially in the 90s, we used to do substances. So people were all about letting go mm-hmm. of their consciousness, which was very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And many people are still doing that now with shamans like ayahuasca mm-hmm. and things like that. But the goal of trance dance is not to let go of your consciousness. It's to help your consciousness to understand who you are and to accept who you are. That's especially with Ernesto Ortiz. He was fantastic at helping us learn about that. And so body-mind centering is created by Bain, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. And she's, she's in Massachusetts, Amherst, Massachusetts. And body-mind centering is a form of somatic movement. So there's many, many types of somatic movement. From the 60s, 70s, 80s, many teachers explored different forms of somatic movement. Esalen, there's a school, Esalen, where a lot of those teachers formed these different teachings. Bonnie created body-mind centering as a way of really inquiring into the body as to how the body is. So Bonnie's work is all about what is the feeling in the body And how does that feeling and sensation 
affect you. For example, Bonnie's work was all about the shapes of the different body parts, the internal body parts, the organs, um, the lymph system, the blood system. She's got so many parts to her work. It's almost endless. And she would explore how that shape would feel and how it inspired movement in the body. So when I danced with somatic teachers, what I discovered was that immediately I stopped thinking (laughs) and I started feeling the shape, sense, touch, and the inner feeling. So it wasn't just my outside body that was feeling through shape and touch. It was my inner feeling of shape and touch inside the body. So I experienced, I I discovered through somatic movement a completely different way to experience myself and move from. And I was no longer looking at the body as a tool or a vessel. It was like a a playground. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I was dancing with the body as an exploration of self and what that self is, how it feels. And just by doing that, the movement, At first, it was cathartic, like releasing emotions or stuff or layers. But then that that was sort of a short phase. Cathartic movement's great, but it's not really useful after a while. What happened was I discovered that there was much more of this playground that was gentle exploration, was very safe, and a place of listening, deep listening, that allowed whatever I was experiencing to be experienced. And so a lot of my movement became much more connected and much more natural, immediately felt, and I didn't have to think at all. So they're all quite different, um, the traditions I've explored. Ultimately, sorry. What about how, how did the belly dancing relate also with your body image exploring yourself. Yeah, so belly dance is also a communal form of dance. So Indigenous tribes created belly dance through many, Mm -hmm. many different sacred forms of temple dancing from the Far East all the way through the Middle East and also over to Spain and parts of Europe and southern Italy, the Mediterranean, and even North Africa. So belly dance has a very extensive tradition that's not quite um, historically mapped very well. There's a movie called La Chodrome that does a, a musical history of that dance, but that's only one part of it. Um, And the belly dance is much more of a folkloric um, celebration in community of how the body is a connection to our spiritual side Mm -hmm. and our physical side. So a lot of the movements are basically just showing that. They're showing the shape of the pelvis in relation to the shape of the heart chakra or the chest and the shoulders that balance the pelvis and the hands are the most important part of the dance but they also do a lot of direction of the energy through certain sacred shapes 
And because it was done through a community with the eyes open, so that's a big difference. So if you're looking at belly dance, you don't typically do belly dance with eyes closed. You do it with the eyes opening and it's in a group and you're celebrating this sacred relationship between our, our spiritual nature and our physical nature. Um, a lot of traditions say that belly dance was also a fertility dance. So it was to help women learn how to use their abdominal muscles to assist in many things, not just giving birth, but one thing to assist in giving birth and also to assist with all of their growing up from puberty to motherhood and then to menopause. So the woman then would have more control over her spine. And if you think about it also, it's also more control over the kundalini energy, which is her spiritual growth through life. So it wasn't just about delivering babies, but that was a huge part of it. And belly dance is a communal um, form of understanding what's, what's the purpose of our bodies here. So the belly dance and the body image was really a celebration of womanhood and her body, the pelvis and the heart and her hands, which direct energy, and her brain as well, mm -hmm. which coordinates everything, and how that can help communities to understand the phases of life and the cycles of life from birth to puberty to marriage or consummation of love and to giving to creating new babies to then when the woman becomes older and then she has to educate the next cycle. So it was very much a, a belly dance is... Is, is so important for body image or understanding the cycles of life at a community level and at a cultural level. Um, so in comparison, the belly dance to the other work I've done, like the Sufi movement, was very much that spiritual nature mm -hmm. of love. And the trance dance was about understanding how you could let go of your mind and understand how we as a species are always trying to collectively do that but the trance dance in the modern age is done with blindfolds and it's more individual mm -hmm. um, however they do it in groups and somatic movement is also about a deeper deeper understanding of the individual and I feel like belly dance is kind of like when I did the somatic work my belly dance changed so it enabled me to come from a deeper, authentic place with my belly dance movements. And it changed the way I taught the dance. It changed the way I talked to women who were doing the dance. Uh, yeah, so the belly dance is, is super important because it's ancient and it's over many thousands of years. So it, it shows us how people have been working on the body and understanding its nature as both a spiritual vessel and a physical vessel for thousands of years and the new dance forms are, are trying to build on that but I think one of the problems with modern dance is that we don't like to talk about God and I think once you start to separate God out from the whole formula or spirit or divine whatever you call it once we start to separate it out we've we've lost the plot we've we've forgotten that our body is a vessel for something non-physical mm -hmm. which is the spirit is non-physical so I hope that answers about how the belly dance fits in because it's quite, um, because I've done so many other dance forms as well. Um, of course, belly dance is my favourite uh, way to have fun <laughs> and celebrating community. 
Because mm -hmm. the other thing with belly dance, Patty, is that you can go to like many different weddings and cultures. Like I can go to Indian wedding and just groove out and uh -huh. start doing some Bollywood movements and have fun. Mm -hmm. Or I can go to a Greek party or a Jewish party and I have fun because belly dance seems to sort of work across many, many <laughs> different continents and cultures. And that's what I love about it. I can basically be a wedding crasher and fit in. <laughs> Uh -huh. And it's very community and people immediately when you start doing it in all those community environments, people smile, they kind mm -hmm. of light up and the women start shaking and then the men start <laughs> doing their kind of version of the cultural dance and they'll slap and, and this, this it's because it's so old mm -hmm. and we've been doing these folkloric dances for so many generations Um and people also can dance as a group versus in discos or nightclubs. People don't know how to really connect in a group anymore. You can't hold hands. You can do it if you do salsa. Um, but people, I remember in the 80s and 90s, we're like, oh, this new dance where you don't really hold hands and you just <laughs> dance by yourself. Um, so the community aspect of belly dance is super in, um, engaging and it's fun. Well, thank you, Angela, for explaining all the different dances that you do and you teach. How can you build a better relationship with your body when you don't feel great about it? Yeah, I try to, in the body of love, I focus on dance and, and movement uh, exercises that are not dance-based. But one of the things I struggled with was that some of the people I know don't really like dance. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to use dance as a way to connect. So I looked for uh, a, one of the simplest steps that I could put in the 10 steps. I call it looking, looking. Um, and I, I wrote The Body of Love in 2012. That was about the same time that they started putting the like button on social media. And that like button on social media now has created a lot of sort of comparison problems or people looking for significance through how many people like them. So it's changed the way we look at images and getting social approval. Back in 2012, it was more that the images of the body were in our general media where people would compare themselves to magazines or ads on billboards, um, TV, movie. A lot of Photoshopping was mm -hmm. being done in the media. And Photoshop was, that was a big thing back then. So back in 2012, I was looking for a way to take the way we use our eyes so they don't see those images and don't focus on comparing how we look to those images and start to use our eyes to see how the heart sees. And everybody knows that phrase, or maybe you don't, but um, the eyes are the window to the soul. Yes. Have you heard of that? Yes. I right. Have. Yeah. So I don't know how much young people have heard that because they don't read biblical texts or <laughs> certain books anymore. So I was really looking at 
all of the workshops I'd done in personal growth, we all did eye work. We did it in theatre. You just look into someone's eyes. And because people are isolated now, we don't do those workshops. Like I was around people that did lots of eye gazing, whether it was in spiritual workshops or workshops like Tony Robbins or uh, theatre theatre workshops. So if you're um, struggling every day with your body, this is one of the most potent exercises that you can do, which I have in the body of love. And it's to look into your eyes. And I have in the, the body of love, I have an exercise where you look into a mirror. And I recommend in the book that you try looking at your eyes, trying to find something that you love about yourself. But I've noticed um, one of the things we need to to first bring awareness to is to ask yourself, how do you look at your body when you look in the mirror? Do you look at yourself and dissect your body into parts and criticize that part of your body or that part of your body? Because now with the rise of, um, we don't have just Photoshop, we have surgery and apps that change the way your face looks. So people are having fake images of themselves instead of looking at themselves. So it's very important just to start looking at your body in a, in a different way that loves your body as it is. If you look at your body and you're uh, without your filters on your phone <laughs> and you're just looking at that part and that part and that part and you're just criticising it, you're literally separating yourself just with the way that you look at your body with your eyes. When a mother looks at her baby, she's not looking at a baby like that. She's looking at the baby with love. You know, you've you've had some grandchildren recently, Patty. You yes. know that feeling. Yes. What can you maybe you can describe it for us? Because that's what I'm talking about. When you look at the baby, what what happens? Yeah. Well, you're just so full of love for the, for the child that to you they're the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and they're part of you so when you look at them you don't see any flaws or to you they're just plain beautiful yeah it's a beautiful space Mm-hmm. very much so and that's the love we're all looking for mm-hmm. as adults as children as old people as young people we're still we we come into the world experiencing it if we're lucky in that first couple of years as a baby and then the rest of our lives we keep, keep looking for it again <laughs> and in the book, I'm looking at that exercise called looking, the step um, called looking is where, how can we start you doing that, looking at your body in the mirror, especially when you have bad habits of criticizing and separating your body parts. So in the book, this, the step that I do is uh, look in the mirror. And if, there, if there's so much you hate about your body, just find one thing, one thing that you can look at. 
which typically is our eyes, but it might not be that for you. It might be just you want to look at your fingers. I used to look at parts of my hands as well and get obsessed with my feet. And if you get stuck, just look into your eyes and just start looking with that love and finding how you can look at yourself deeply. How does mirror work work help us to accept our body image and grow to love ourselves? Yeah, this is an important thing to explore because a lot of people recommend looking at the body in the mirror to start just accepting yourself. So the most important thing is the intent that you do mirror work with. So you could be, I'll give you an example. If you look in the mirror and you see something you don't like Mm -hmm. and your mind could be comparing your body to images, other images that are not you. Okay, so the intent of looking in the mirror is to just practice seeing something in your body that is a part of your mind that you're not critical of. Sorry, something in your body that you can just be not critical of. So the intent is to just practice seeing something that you like. Make very clear what that intent is. You don't have to suddenly look at the mirror and 100% accept yourself because that's not realistic. And the intent is just to allow your eyes to start feeling a different way of looking at yourself because many of us have um, practiced for years negative habits of looking at our bodies. And when you've practiced them for years, they, they take a while and a long time sometimes to change. Okay. I'll give you my example. When I was young, I started a habit of walking past the store windows and looking at my reflection of my body in the glass. And then I pull in my be- belly to make that reflection look thinner. So that led to a habit of constantly looking at my body when I walked past the store windows. And I did that for about 30 years. Now I don't do it, but that Mm -hmm. was 30 years I did that habit. So the intent of the mirror work has to be really clear to you. And the simpler you can keep it, the better. So even if you just look into the mirror and say, I'm just going to try looking into my eyes for 10 seconds today, just to see what it feels like. Keep it simple. Um, when you look into your eyes, there's, it's very easy to start seeing um, something else about your body that you don't like. So you might be looking at your eyes and then your mind will start to wonder and start to criticise. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. You might be cynical. You'd be critical. So the other... The other thing that will keep you grounded is to keep coming back. Look, I'm just exploring, looking into my eyes and starting to build a different relationship with my body. Mm-hmm. And if we don't practice these new ways of looking, you're just going to constantly go to the negative habits 
And so practice is, is the key when you want to start working with mirror work. It's repetition and keeping that going. Angela, in your book, you write, the time you spend connecting to yourself and to your body is how you develop and make a relationship with the reservoir of love inside of you that allows you to share that love with others. I love that quote because it's so true. Taking time and caring for yourself spills out love onto others. Yeah, in the book, there is an exercise where you practice feeling this reservoir of energy mm-hmm. inside of you. So I'll talk a little bit about the reservoir of love, which I call um, that reservoir of energy inside. In the Tai Chi, Qigong, Sufi movement, Indigenous dance, yoga, and many, many other movement forms such as capoeira, they all talk about this central channel of energy that moves from the center of the earth up to the sun. For me, it's like a battery of energy. Every time I dance or do yoga, walk, anytime actually, I can feel this central channel of energy, even just breathing. And all dance or movement forms are really maximizing the grace and movement of this core channel of energy. So for me, every time I feel that energy, whether moving or in meditation, I feel a deep connection to the life that sustains us. It's gravity. It's the earth and the sun. And that's why in yoga, you do the salute to the sun every morning to honor that life force energy. So if in yoga, one of the most important things is to give honor to that life force, in terms of our self-care, it's always the same thing. It's a regenerating when we spend time with ourselves. that intent to nurture and honor that life within us. So right now we have thousands of people who are alone, isolated, depressed because they're alone or they feel worthless. That's thousands of people on the planet now. However, if you're able to just just one little iota, shift your feeling to wanting more, not craving, but wanting just to experience some nurturing, safety, protection, that first step, it's always wanting to experience life as it naturally is, that natural life force that's shown through our own bodies, through our feet up to the crown. And it's shown to us through nature from the earth center to the sun and through gravity holding us here on this planet. So our main problem today, Patty, is that we're cut off from our own nature in our bodies and we're cut off from nature in general. We're cut off from each other through isolation, through modern Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Yes. You also wrote, the body of love is the part of you. Let me start that over again. The body of love is the part of you so in love with life 
that it is beyond the suffering you experience in love and loving others or yourself or in being here in the world. The more you love yourself, the more you are able to be who you truly are. That's the end of the quote. And the way I feel loving oneself does give you more love to share with others. Yeah, in my words, I'm capturing some of the energy of the words to describe the feeling that I get from that channel of the reservoir Mm -hmm. of love within us when we connect to the life within us. And also 2012, I was writing the book because many people around me were going through breakups or series of breakups of bad relationships and they felt love was a battlefield, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Pat Benatar's song. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. That was from the 80s. Yes. Um, so it was like the modern world of relationships. People were just getting fixated on conflict and seeing relationships as suffering. But it's not. I find conflict is that you're rubbing up against the parts of you that are fixated with suffering or addicted to suffering. And believe me, I have had a lot of that. I've been very addicted to suffering. However, when I felt the body of love that is able to move and feel free and connected to life beyond this suffering, I realized there was um, a contradiction. I thought, you know, I can't be actually addicted to suffering because there's this life energy that's flowing through me and the contradiction was so stark I could be completely in suffering and then when I moved or felt that energy throwing flowing through me I felt love so I I I started to question why do I feel suffering is more important than the beautiful states I was experiencing in my body And I knew that the love of the body that I experienced in movement and nurturing touch was so powerful and it proved to me that suffering is a temporary state. It's a temporary state. That's where we get stuck. We think it's permanent. It's a temporary state and it can shift. It doesn't shift when you think it should shift, but it can. (laughs) So therefore suffering can't be the truth because that's stronger nature inside of me that state of love was basically more of a regenerating energy and I found that it was constantly regenerating constantly growing it was constant but the suffering wasn't another quote from the book that Angela wrote is the concept of service is stepping into loving and knowing you are who you are so that you no longer live a lie. And in doing so, you allow others to live their truth and step into their own loving being. So what I was saying about a more natural truth, uh, because in our world right now, there's a lot of debate about what's true and what's not true. So what was true in the body, which is my truth, was a state of loving rather than suffering. 
And that connects to this concept of service that I just shared, that you shared in the quote. As a species, a human species, if we're addicted to suffering, then we stay in that lowest vibrational being of the human species, which is trapped in the emotional brain. And our emotional brain is addicted to conflict, tribalism, hate, us versus them, jealousy, separatism because of fear of being annihilated. The emotional brain is also driven by lust at all costs. Mm-hmm. You know, lust is okay, but if it's at all costs, what's the point of it? Hunger, thirst, all those primal needs we need to stay alive. So the emotional brain is and was important for the survival of our species. However, if we are to evolve as a species, and that's still a choice, (laughs) we're still struggling with that choice right now. If we are to evolve, uh, love and states where we're driven by emotional brain sorry, love and states where we are not driven by our emotional brain is what is required. You know, love and higher states of love are what we need to manage or overcome the emotional brain. We can't get rid of the emotional brain. It's part of us. What we can do is we can evolve that aspect of our brain that encourages higher states of love or higher states of thinking and eliminates those addicted neural pathways to the emotional brain, which wants quick fixes like drugs, addiction to sex or addiction to getting what I want now. And we need to evolve that higher brain if we want to manage the emotional brain where we're we're wired for simplicity. And I'm gonna use this word bliss because when you're in bliss, you're not thinking about what you want. You're just experiencing love. Our truth as a species is that if we don't evolve into love and acceptance of those higher experiences of what we can can experience as love, we actually will destroy each other. We're seeing it right now. Well, Angela, this quote of the book, I absolutely love. And here's the quote, but as you grow through life with the higher principles of love, you develop ways to accept people, tolerate differences, and enjoy their differences without expecting others to live accordingly to your version of love and find creative ways for us to grow and live together. That's the end of the quote. Wow, can you imagine what the world would be like if all we all loved this way? Yes, I can, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dreaming about that since I was a child. I am such a flower child. I've had dreams, like literal sleeping dreams and waking dream visions as well. I, I feel a lot of children have that dream that I have. And then as they grow up, the world shows them to throw that dream away and think about other things, lower things, conflict. The next generations are also looking for love that's not, not based on sexual approaches or attitudes to love, especially since sex has become so pornographic 
and distorted in the way it's presented. Some people are now exploring platonic love or asexual love. Some people are exploring gender fluidity. Some people are more traditional with the gender roles and want to have babies and continue families. Everything is up for grabs. And that's very good. It makes us look like we're becoming more tolerant and more diverse in accepting the way people choose to love. However, my concern is that we're looking as a species like we have more choice, but it does not give people true freedom and tolerance of each other. And it hasn't created love and acceptance of the different ways that people want to love. We're, we're actually starting to get more tribal in the way we're, we're judging the way people choose to love others. So the only way I see to real tolerance of others is when individuals go inside and, and look at our own judgments about themselves. You look at your judgments about this world, about your parents and your intimate relationships. And you see how those judgments and hurts are pushing people away from you, pushing people into something other than you. When I was 18, I started dressing like a goth <laughs> and I put on all these black clothes, black eye makeup. I looked really evil. <laughs> and I presented a persona to the world that basically was like Lilith. I will destroy you if you think <laughs> you can get close. But actually underneath all of that makeup, I was a huge baby. Mm -hmm. So how I learned to tolerate others and the way they love was first by accepting how much I judged my mother. And then after that, it kept going. I think one of the problems we face today is that we think that acceptance is just um, about diversity and inclusiveness and get over it. You should just accept people because they're different. We can't accept from the mind. That's sort of forcing people to accept difference. And, and what I realized as an 18-year-old was that I was so judgmental of my mum's traditional values and that I was pushing her away just because I didn't accept who I was. Or I was trying to be different. I was trying mm -hmm. to be seen. I was trying to understand who I was. But that didn't allow me to have a relationship with her. So after she died, I really started that relationship. And I started to realize I didn't respect her. And then I started to realize that even if she was different and conservative, the way she loved was sacred. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize she was sacred. She is sacred. I changed my attitude to her over many decades. And after she passed, I saw more of how she was, how she grew up, how that shaped her. That gave me not just tolerance, but it gave me a sense of sacredness about her and how lucky I was to have experienced her, even though I judged her. And I forgave myself for judging her. So tolerance is organic and natural when you look at your parents and you accept who they are in spite of your judgments or your perceptions of their shortcomings. And then you start to see actually how wonderful they did raising you considering how primitive their human and emotional brain is 
Angela, you wrote, the greatest service you can do for others is to allow them the gift of loving themselves. When people feel that you encourage this self-love in them, as you allow it for yourself, they will flock to you and want to be your best friend. Yeah. In the 10 years since I wrote The Body of Love, I can see how the world is now talking about self-love and self-acceptance. And that dialogue itself has started to help people listen and, and encourage themselves to have a relationship with themselves that allows them to be, allows them to be natural without proving that they're better than someone else or without thinking that they're the best. And Patty coaching is that space that I just described in that quote. When we coach someone, that's one of the things we do. Well, you and I, I don't know about other coaches, but that's how I see what we do. We give them that gift, that space to start loving themselves, listening to themselves. Right now in our world, you can see a lot of people are coming to coaching for this space to have a gift of loving themselves. In coaching, we ask you to look at yourself, see who you are, your life story, your perception of the world and your relationships. And most importantly, we ask you to see what you bring to the world, your gifts, your strengths, your dreams and your sorrows. It's also through listening to people's suffering that I hear the breakthroughs people have when they realize that suffering is not who they are. It's just what they carry in order to learn more about who they really are. So these spaces we create as coaches, as healers for people to feel themselves are so important to create self-love. That's not based on proving to the world that you love yourself but instead a place for you to experience how amazing the gift of you being here and alive is. And I've had many friends and people in my life and I've always naturally had that because I genuinely enjoy experiencing people as they are. I love this, Angela. Thank you for sharing. To learn more about Angela's books and the body of love, we will have a link in the show notes. We would love to hear about your body of love journey. Thank you so much for listening. Please share our podcast with others and give us a five-star review or a clap on Anchor Podcast app so more people can find and listen to this podcast. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.